Well, hello, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to episode 95 of Third Degree, the podcast. Before we get going, let me remind you that Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, 25% off site-wide for all Third Degree podcast listeners with promo code Third Degree on Soccer90.com. As always, that's 3-R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E, just like the website. So put that as your promo code and get yourself a discount. All right, joining me once again is my good friend, Dan Crook. Dan, how are you doing? Doing well. Uh, draft day. All the fun of it. Yeah. You sound totally riveted and excited. Yeah. Yeah, always. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to have a special guest on this podcast, by the way. We have an FC Dallas player dropping by to discuss his draft experience and talk about what it's like to go through it as a player. That'll be in just a little bit after we recap all the picks. Uh, but Dan, let's get right into it. Let's talk about the draft picks. But before we do them, go about through them one by one, let's just talk about the general nature of the draft. They did shorten it by one round this year. I hope they keep that. In fact, I hope they get rid of the third round too. I think it should be two rounds. Where are you on the general quality of the draft these days? Uh, it's definitely decreased a little bit. Um, I'm not sure how much of it is surrounding the 2020 season where kind of half the teams had like six games, half the teams didn't play. Um you know, and, and affording that extra uh, year of eligibility. But uh, it was pretty telling that Colorado traded up to third overall for, uh, for their first pick, and in their second round pick, they just passed on. Uh, I mean, it seemed like half the teams had uh, had uh, passed by the third round. Yeah, teams that don't have USL sides, particularly these days, are passing on everything because there just isn't space on their rosters. And the cost to bring in a player for your training camp it's higher than the value of a guy who's pretty much has zero chance to make your roster. So um, Dallas and the teams that have USL sides, go ahead and take these later picks because they want to get these guys into camp, see what they have, and, and then try and sign them for their development squads. And we'll get to that all with North Texas Soccer Club in a bit. So the number one draft pick uh, for FC Dallas this year was none of the Nicky Hernandez after trading up. Nicky Hernandez, of course, you guys will all know, uh, plays for North Texas Soccer Club, and he's a graduate of SMU. In fact, he graduated at December while he continued classes uh, playing for North Texas, uh, got his degree, so good for him. His dad actually played for uh, the Dallas Burn back in 1998, although play is a relative term. He didn't get into any games, but he wore the number 19 before Bobby Ryan arrived on campus. Uh, so nicky has got a connection to the club, and um, it was really nice, Dan, to see them acknowledge that he was a Dallas Texans player and didn't come out of their academy, came out of another local academy. It was nice to see them acknowledge that. Yeah, uh, regardless of whether that's uh, kind of sweetening relations on the PR side or the technical side, it's just a good thing. I did notice uh, when they had the NWSL draft the other week, they did the same thing with Madison Haley, mentioning that she played for the WPSL team, but had come through the Texans uh, youth system. Definitely, you know, you've got you got to give the these clubs uh, the the credit they deserve. It shouldn't, even if you want to push the narrative that these teams feed up into FC Dallas, that should still be above the youth level. It shouldn't be kind of the you know insinuating that those those uh, academies don't matter. Yeah, we we, sh- we want to see the club build the the pool for everybody. There's more talent in Dallas than can all play for just FC Dallas. So it's wonderful to see them acknowledge the Dallas Texans, who are one of the great clubs in in American youth soccer history. Uh, and we're the biggest club around here for a long, long time until FC Dallas came around and usurped that position. But um, still a tremendously quality club. Now, the real important thing about seeing Nicky Hernandez picked, Dan, is that he already was a player for North Texas Soccer Club. And I know you know this. Um, so a lot of people were questioning why in the world would Dallas draft a guy they already had under contract. And the important rule to understand is that uh, the MLS teams and MLS rights are separate. And, a, and a, the team that drafts an MLS, a player in the MLS Super Draft owns that player's rights in MLS for two years. So somebody else could have drafted Nicky Hernandez because his name was in the draft pool. He's not a homegrown player. He doesn't play for the FC Dallas Academy. He was draftable. So somebody could have grabbed him and owned his rights for two years. And if you wonder if why would anyone want to do that, well, FC Dallas did this very same thing with a goalkeeper a year or two ago. They drafted in the fourth round after he had already signed for Atlanta United 2 
And now Dallas at the time said something about wanting to bring him into camp, whatever, but he never did because he was already under contract with Atlanta. And eventually um, he, that player moved to enter Miami's development team. And so Dallas traded his rights eventually to enter Miami. So it is something that could have happened. And Dallas obviously values Nicky Hernandez enough to go ahead and have drafted him so that they can lock him up. And, and, and I think, Dan, by picking him at that point, it doesn't clearly indicate uh, the value that they see in him. Yeah. I mean, let's, you know, let's not um, be under any illusion that, you know, it's an enormous trade for those rights. Uh, you know, you're talking about a 50 grand set fee or, a, you know, a, a compensatory draft pick. Um, but the fact that, you know, it shows belief in the player, it, you know, doesn't give a weird picture of, yeah, we believe in you, but you're not worth our uh, our first round pick after we've already gone and circumvented the draft to get Khalil Edmacar from uh, Philadelphia Union. Yeah, picking up Khalil via this homegrown trade and signing, in effect, gave them a high level draft talent and allowed them to make this trade for Nicky Hernandez. Um, maybe this this pick would have happened anyway, but um, it's still a positive mood by FC Dallas. Now, I wrote at the end of last North Texas season that um, Nicky's play had really opened a lot of eyes, and, and mine included. I did not think he was that good coming out of SMU, and his, his play was enormously uh, quality for North Texas for USL1. I wrote at the end of the season that Dallas was was considering bringing him into MLS camp and giving him a shot in the spring. Now, on the conference call today, he indicated that was true, that they did tell him at the end of last season that they wanted him to come into this spring camp. Uh, and picking him this this way allows that to come to fruition. Now, there, there's lots of ways they can go about keeping this player. He is under contract for next season with North Texas. They could leave him there and keep his MLS rights for two years. They could sign him later to an MLS deal. They could loan him up, I believe, if through the rules. They could even get, sign him to an MLS deal now and then loan him back down. So there still probably will be a lot of North Texas soccer club in Nikki's short-term future. And how much so may depend on how many loans that FC Dallas does. Like after, We've talked a lot about the idea that some of these younger homegrown midfielders like Thomas Roberts, like Evan Surreal, like Brandon Cervania, may need to go out on loans to get more playing time. And then Nikki can step in and fill the training void, fill the first team um, garbage minutes, late game minutes. He is an older player than a lot of those young guys, maybe even more ready for MLS than some of those guys, and still play with North Texas. Yeah, I think it's kind of uh, one one thing he's really got going for him is he's has more of a dis- defined role um, than than – a lot of players, we've seen Brennan Savania kind of switch between the 8 and the 6. We've seen uh, Thomas Roberts is a, a true 10, so it's kind of harder to bring him back to that free 8 or push him out wide. So, you know, being a, a true, like, to the letter, box-to-box 8 with the great attacking tendencies just, just plays in his favor so much. Yeah, he, he cited on the conference call that they did with him that he really admired Ricarte's game, Andres Ricarte, and wanted to emulate that game. He has a little bit of Brian Acosta's tendency to want to make those surging runs forward. He has, has that, attack, that little extra attacking flair. Uh, a lot of potential here, real exciting player. You know, how much he'll play for North Texas versus FC Dallas this season will remain to be seen, but a terrific pick. And when you combine it with the Khalil uh, home run signing, Dallas for their first team has done a couple of really nice moves. Yeah, I think it's worth saying, you know, uh, 50,000 secured the home ground rights for Khalil. Uh, So, uh, Nikki for the draft doesn't cost a thing. Uh, Colorado, in comparison, paid 200,000. To get into the sorry, one hundred twenty-five thousand to get into the sixth pick, and then another two hundred thousand to trade that up to get to the third pick. So, you know, you can you compare two two players who can certainly fill roles uh, to uh, spend in, you know, nearly uh, nearly four, uh, yeah, nearly sorry, over three hundred grand uh, for a, a flyer on a on a potential starter. It just seems like it's. It's an FC Dallas move, low uh, low risk, high reward. Yeah, I, we got uh, we like this manipulation of the draft and the rules, and I think it's quality across the board. All right, let's talk second round. Now, FC Dallas took a goalkeeper, Dan, out of the second round. Now, let's first let's discuss really quickly uh, the idea that why they would take a keeper. Uh, now, some people might find that surprising when they have three keepers, but let's even though keepers play till they're older, 
Maurer is still 32, Jimmy Maurer. Kyle Zobak is 30. And even, while Philippe is 21, and we really like him, Felipe, uh, we had to look at him and we continue to look at him as a buy to sell. You know, he's going to be gone a bunch. Well, not now he's not since the Olympics are about to be canceled. But if they do end up buying him, because currently he's on loan for just another season. So either he'll go home or they'll buy him with the idea that they're probably going to sell him, maybe. So Carlos Aviles is out of the system now. Seth Wilson, who's the academy graduate recently, seems to be out of the system. Michael Clody, another recent graduate keeper, still is at Columbia. You're not going to bail on Columbia to go to North Texas Soccer Club. You know, Antonio Carrera, who we're excited about, is just 16. Julian Isone, we're excited about him. He's 14. So there was a need here because for a keeper for North Texas, if nothing else, because North Texas had no keepers, basically. Yeah, I mean, no. they, they don't. They, they uh, you know, like you said, Aviles is out. Uh, Luis uh, Zamudio is out. So, yeah, at, at worst, they can offer him a USL1 deal and, and, and see where they go from there. But... Um, seems like a really solid pick. Uh, goalkeeper out of Virginia, um, Colin Shuttler. Uh, first team All American College Cup All Tournament team in 2019. Um, the Virginia team lost uh, on penalties to uh, Georgetown, so it sounds like he had a, a fantastic uh, tournament. And then, um, you know, they obviously rate him very highly because he was the first. Uh, ACC all ACC first eleven selection from Virginia since Tony Miola. Yeah, you're talking about a, a guy that's a first team All American as well. Uh, and many of the draft boards I had seen, he's the first keeper listed. Now he is a tiny bit smaller than you might want at only six one, rather than say six three or six five. But you know, still plenty to work with. More than likely, it's going to be North Texas or nothing. I would have to think, as are every pick to follow after this. Yeah, and you got to think it's kind of one for the future as well. If Felipe doesn't get taken on, there's a third. Uh, you know, there's immediately a third opening. Uh, we've talked about the possibility of Carl Zobek maybe going into coaching uh, eventually, whether that's with FC Dallas or elsewhere, which opens up a, a spot. So uh, yeah, you know, it's it's today uh, kind of as we've talked about with the little log jam at, at North Texas SC. Trying to figure out, you know, will a player take a deal for that to then, uh, you know, maybe have a shot down the line, like like a Derek Warduck. You know, can you develop enough to be uh, thrust into that first team picture? Yeah, for FC Dallas, any sort of homegrown or potential signings are a couple of years down the line. If this guy comes in for a couple of years and progresses, North Texas is always about progression. You know, then that's the thing. And it underlines the fact that there definitely was a hole. Now, we, we've talked about a foreign goalkeeper coming in, but, you know, North Texas needs two keepers. So it'll be interesting to see if this kid's willing to take that North, North Texas deal or not, see how he compares in camp, see how he looks. Maybe he won't be good enough. From all we know, he might not get that offer. It's not an automatic. So um, a developmental project from here on down in the draft. And, and definitely Dallas saw a gap in their keeper lineup. You know, in their, I mean, in their terms of their ages and progression of guys. And obviously, Ben Hale has, has not filled that void, and Seth Wilson's not filling that void, and Colody's not yet filling that void. So, uh, Colin Shuttler gets the chance. Yeah. All right. Uh, on to the third round picks. And this is where one pick that's a big time project and kind of fascinating project. And then two picks, which I'm really, really pleased to see um, because they have an FC Dallas Academy connection. And the first pick is uh, Thibaut Jekyll. I probably got that wrong. Thibaut Jekyll, who is a Frenchman from Severn, uh, out of the Mets sp- uh, can- uh, Academy specifically. But he's been playing at Campbell for four years. Uh, he was a third-team All-American in 2019, Big South Player of the Year. Campbell's a rising program, by the way. They've done gotten to playoffs a couple times lately. Uh, he's about 6'1", 165. He's a, he's a striker. I think he's a high striker, but I'm not 100% sure. I've never seen him play. Um, one of the things that's most fascinating is he was named to the Big South Conference All-Decade Team, which is a pretty big uh, accomplishment for a guy from Campbell. I mean, the Big South is not the ACC, but it's nonetheless an All-Decade Team. It's remarkable. So uh, if you're looking again, think in North Texas, uh, Ronaldo Damus has moved on. Alex Bruce was retained but was pretty inconsistent with the injury combinations last year. So, you know, uh, Thibaut Jacquel might get a really good look here to play a bunch of time as a forward for North Texas. 
Yeah, it'll be, it'll be kind of interesting. I, I saw him listed as a midfielder, but he, he's a number 10. I mean, he plays in the 10 jersey. And uh, in, in 2019, when he was named to that third team, um, you know, he, he led the nation in scoring. Uh, from 21 games, he had 18 goals, five assists. Uh, had a dry spell when they when Campbell played good schools, you know, like uh, UNC, Virginia, SMU, anyone like that. But uh, yeah, scoring. I mean, he obviously knows how to finish when he when he gets the ball. So it's uh, you know, it's definitely one to take a chance on. Yeah, so maybe we're looking more at a off striker tennis type or even a wingish type, perhaps, if he has some midfield kind of capabilities, which it sounds like he might. So, um, again, it's an intriguing kind of off the radar kind of diamond that uh, potential diamond in the rough that Dallas loves to look for. This is like uh, the winger they drafted last year, Andres, who uh, ended up going home to Norway, or it's like. Um, uh, really like Damus in a way was, you know, these guys that are off the radar and off the high profile teams that Dallas knows because they've Campbell's close enough. They've probably seen lots of tape on them or even know people there. So uh, it's an interesting question to see how he fits in and, and, and a project player. Now the trouble is as a non-American international spots are tough. So um, that makes it really difficult for him to fit into the FC Dallas first team MLS picture. But um, you know, that's what North Texas is for, is to try out guys like this and see how it goes. And what it also uh, can have an effect on is, is the visa status. Uh, you know, we had the, there was the issue. Uh, I'm not sure if it was that that was the reason Anders uh, Engerbretson had to go back to Norway for originally. But, uh, you know, there were, there were a couple of players who were getting stuck outside with uh, just with holdups with visas. Yeah, I remember uh, Federal last year had that had a little bit of a visa issue at the beginning and had trouble mm-hmm. getting into camp. Um, so we'll see how that goes with him. And a, a, an interesting question and a kind of a kind of an experiment sort of pick. All right, the next two picks I love uh, a lot. And the first one of them is Mark Salas, who, if you read my work, you'll have known. I talked about him as a potential homegrown this year. Uh, obviously, that didn't prove to be the case. I really like this player. He's very, very versatile. Now, he's nominally a right back. He played, he was in the uh, Dallas Cup winning team with Paxson and Jesus, but he can play center back and he can play left back in a pinch. He's not super tall, but he's very versatile all across the back line. FC Dallas Academy, ex-player, so he could be a homegrown signing eventually if you want. I really like the fact that they picked him. Uh, does he have a shot to make the FC Dallas team? I mean... If Reynolds is sold, if guys go on loan, maybe there's some room for him. Maybe he's a guy. I've actually talked about him as a, you know, fourth or fifth option down the line in terms of replacing your right back, you know, over the next couple of seasons. So, um, really nice pick here. I like this pick. Yeah, I was. I, was, I mean, I like the idea of it. Uh, you know, kind of keeping it in house a little bit. I was a little bit confused. Um, I wonder if maybe there's a a question over his homegrown eligibility. Like missing a summer camp or something, uh, a winter, yeah, summer camp. Um, you know, for using the draft pick. But I mean, if you've got nothing better to do with it, uh, you know, select your own guys. Don't necessarily just pass on it. Yeah, I, I, I have not heard that he missed any of the camps. I mean, he's been playing for Denton Diablos, you know, so he definitely is a guy that's been around town, you know. So I would assume he would have kept up that status. Um, no one said anything to me about him missing out on it. I, I think at some point they're just they're picking guys just so somebody else doesn't pick them, you know. Since you're crap shooting at this point anyway, um, so I, I love the fact that they actually picked him to to yeah. keep him locked up. And it's worth pointing out, you know, like th- three picks before that, uh, Brandon Toeg he's taken by Houston. So you know, that, it that could have been a, a little bit of a reaction of well, okay, let's protect the Dallas kids. Yeah, Brandon Turwig went to Houston, uh, and my understanding is, despite the fact that I believe he was homegrown eligible, that a college draft pick would supersede that rights. They are able to sign uh, Turwig if they want him, um, even though Dallas does hold his homegrown rights. They just can't sign him to a homegrown contract. Houston can't. They could just have to sign him to a regular contract. Um, but they could potentially trade those rights if they decide they really like him. So that's an interesting question. Uh, two other local guys that were taken – uh, uh, Talon Maples, who's the SMU center back slash six, um, got taken by Toronto. Uh, and Matt Constant, who is a former Texans defender who played for UNC, got taken by Sporting Kansas City in the second round. So the last pick of the draft for Dallas, not of the whole draft, last pick for Dallas, 
is uh, Giovanni Montesteosa, who is um, whose name is often written as one word, Montesteosa, but it's I've also seen it split up where it's Montes de Osa, which I think is probably correct. Gio Giovanni. Um, now, this, again, is a player that played with Paxton and Jesus in the Dallas Cup winning teams. Terrific, terrific attacking talent. Went to USC and had a breakout sophomore year and looked like he was going to become the man down there. And then he hurt himself and missed his whole junior year. I think it was a knee, but I'm not 100% positive on that. Uh, he missed his whole junior year and then was going to come back this year for his senior year with an extra red shirt year available to him. And we were expecting, okay, is he going to rebound? Is he going to be good? Well, then, of course, the COVID happened. So uh, UNC has played six games, I think. I don't know if they're going to play again this spring or not, like some of the other schools are. But regardless, uh, you know, this is a kid at one time that was a super talented attacking mid wing forward type player from the SA Dallas Zone Academy. And the, the injury has really hurt him. He was on my homegrown tracking list this whole time as a potential homegrown because he is very, very talented. So this is a pick again where you're looking at a guy who might just need some time, you know, need a little more recovery, a little more work to get back into his form. But again, I love this pick late to lock up a guy who has some potential from your own academy. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can't say I'm too familiar with his game, but I've definitely seen his name mentioned up and down different draft boards, uh, which yeah kind of tells you like uh you know guys got a lot of potential a lot of people in the in the youth game think highly of him but uh you know injuries and another one that the uh the other one in in 2019 probably doesn't help so yeah i mean if it, it's like one of those in any sport if uh if a player of that talent falls to you then take him and, and see what you can do yeah, he's a guy that I had listed as a please sign to North Texas guy because I, I was pretty sure that he wasn't going to be a high pick. You know, this is a guy I want to see the club get him in and help him get fit and then see what you got. You know, it's a bit of a roll the dice because of the big injury. But, um, you know, it's if like he recovers. Yeah, exactly like Mario Chichera, you know, who was a first round talent. And then Dallas picked him later because he dropped after he blew the knee out. This guy is actually recovered now. And, but hasn't been able to really play very much. So there's probably a little bit of tape on him post-recovery. But you know how it is with a, with a knee, Dan. You're out for a year, and then it takes a whole other year to get it back. So, you know, it'll be interesting to watch. It's a perfect player to sign with North Texas, a guy from your system, a guy that you knew at one point was very talented, big injury. Can he get it back? And if you can, what a steal this is. And you don't sign him to a homegrown contract. You draft him, so you hold his rights for a couple of years get him to sign for North Texas and see what happens. And then you could homegrown him later or sign him outright later or whatever you need if it all pans out and is all looking good. So, you know, in a way, kind of taking care of your own Academy product. I really love to see it. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Let's, let's move on now to bring in that. Cause that's all the picks. Let's bring in our overall. Uh, I've got overall. a great segue for this. Oh, do you hit me with I your segue? Do. Okay. Yeah. So today, uh, signing with the, uh, well, selecting with the 76th and 79th overall picks, Mark Salas and Giovanni Monte des, uh, that, that one. Montes de Osa. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Picked them up from uh, the University of North Carolina. Uh, yes. Which I'm, you know, that's now nine picks from UNC, uh, starting with uh, Tim Suarez in, in 1997, Dax McCarty, Zach Lloyd, Matt Hedges. Uh, unfortunately, Walker, uh, Walker Hume. Uh, but also, the guest today. Oh, that's true. He even tweeted at them, didn't he? That's right. Well, today's surprise guest is none other than UNC player, former Generation Adidas player, and FC Dallas left back Johnny Nelson. So Johnny's going to talk to us about his experience, what it was like to be drafted and go through the process. So let's welcome in Johnny Nelson who I would have to say is the most successful draft pick of at least the last few years and maybe even longer. So Johnny, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Now, just in case everybody doesn't know who Johnny is, which is ridiculous. If you're listening to this podcast, you'll know who he is, but he <laughs> did. And in terms of draft context, he did come out of UNC mm -hmm. uh, after playing for two seasons. He signed as a generation Adidas contract for the 2019 draft and was accepted. Uh, sorry, accepted drafted 10th overall by FC Dallas in a pick, by the way, that was acquired from Montreal for Maxi Uruti. I didn't know if you knew that, Johnny, that you came over yeah. from Maxi Uruti. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that's definitely pretty cool to know then. 
So one of the questions I like to ask, and this is one of the non-draft questions, Johnny, is uh, when did you, I like to ask this of everybody, when did you in your life find your passion for soccer? Uh, I think probably when I was uh, in elementary school, for sure. Um, I would say around third to fourth grade. So I would be, I want to say, what is that? I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old, right around there. Because I was playing multiple sports at the time, you know, baseball, football, and obviously soccer. And I just loved soccer the most. Um, and then obviously as time went on, I just, I just stuck with that. So I would say around that age. So it was triggered by play and not by watching or a particular event. Uh, and then obviously at that time, I would, I would definitely start to, to watch soccer. Um, so as I got a little older from that, um, obviously then the Messi era came in. And I think that's what really honestly kind of sparked it as well. Yeah. Messi's known for that, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. So before you even went to college, now I don't want to, I'm not, I don't mean to set aside your DA experience and all that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. one of the things that really jumped out at me looking at your resume yesterday was that you played in the U 17 world cup in Chile under coach Richie Williams, yep. specifically Christian Pulisic and Tyler Adams were on that squad. Yep. Um, and for FC Dallas fans, Alex Sendejas was on that squad. Oh, who was yeah. a homegrown player at the sign. Yep. So um, yeah. could tell us about Alex, but also what was that world cup experience like for you? Uh, oh, the World Cup. I, I think it was one of the probably the coolest tournaments I'll ever be in. Um, honestly, I mean, we, we worked so hard for that. Uh, the, the cycle is what two, two and a half years were down there in Bradyton, Florida. Um, so it was such a relief to make it there. And I mean, the, the competition was it was so good, it was tough, but I learned a lot from that tournament. Um, you know, the, the, the World Cup, the experience, the experience was awesome. And Zendejas, he's a, he's a very good player. Um, I, I haven't talked to him in a while, but he, I thought he was one of our most uh, solid players. Anybody from that team you're particularly close with still? Uh, Christian, for sure. Christian Pusik, we talk a decent amount. Uh, Tyler Adams, somewhat. Um, and then then a few people that, if they did or didn't make the World Cup roster, like the Logan Panshaw, Tanner Dietrich, Tommy McCabe, um, those guys. Now, there must be a story, at least I'm assuming it's a story, about how a kid from Medina, Ohio, ends up at North Carolina. How did that pro progression happen? So um, I, I always loved uh, North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, ever since I was younger, I honestly loved watching the basketball team play. The, the Tar Heels, the, that blue, it just caught my eye. And uh, I even wrote a letter to myself in fifth grade, um, you know, like a, like a future self. Like, wow. You know, dear Johnny, I hope you make it to a good college, either Wake Forest and or North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And it came down to Wake Forest or North Carolina. So and I, and I found that letter a few years ago. Then it, it was just like hard not to get emotional because, you know, that's where I ended up. But deep down, I, I love North Carolina the most. So I'm happy I took that route. So how uh, early did you commit to them in terms of like I know some people commit you know, verbally a year or two out or whatever, well before their signing day. Was that a kind of thing that, or did it, it go was, right down to signing day for you? It was a little less than a year. So I was uh, a senior in high school. Um, my, my uh, first semester senior year of high school. So I don't, I don't really know if that's if when people normally commit, but that's, that's when I did. Does uh, you and Matt had just ever chat about Carolina? I mean, he was only there a short time, but right. No, yeah, yeah we do a bit, but obviously like the coaching staff and everything was, was different completely, but no, we, we talk about it a bit, but obviously he wasn't there as much, but still, it's kind of cool to have another target on the team. So you were a starter from day one, walking onto campus there for your freshman and sophomore campaign. I'm curious if there was sort of a uh, moment where you thought, oh yeah, I'm going to become a pro player. Was there a specific epiphany about that or did it just sort of over time, it just seemed like it was more and more likely? During college or even before that? Or even before that, was there a time when you just thought, oh yeah, I'm going to be a pro? I think, um, I think once the national team started to call me, um, that was, let's see, I was in eighth grade and they told me they needed a left back for the U17 cycle coming up. And I never even played left back. So I kind of converted into that. Um, so I think at that point, and then when I got to residency, so I was 15 years old, a freshman in high school, I think that's when I, I want to be a pro. Like, I, I know I can do this. I, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I believe you've played some holding mid. Certainly you did on one or two occasions for FC Dallas. Where did you convert from when you converted to left back? 
What position? Uh, with internationals, I was kind of playing all over. It was either like a like a center mid or like a, a left wing. Um, and so it's, it's kind of funny. But uh, but no, yeah, then I got obviously converted into the left back. And then obviously I played six in my days or like a left wing. So FC Dallas has put me there and I thought I'd done pretty well there too. So Yeah, so you're like Ryan Hollingshead Jr. Yeah, <laughs> literally. It's so funny. We do talk about that. Both the utility mans. It's funny. Well, you're a significantly better defender than he is. Does he ask you for advice? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> That's funny, though. <laughs> All right. So uh, talk to me about the GA process. Uh, when does that? When did that sort of begin? Like who reached out to you? And sort of when did that happen in the context of your freshman and sophomore year? Yeah, so my freshman year, that's kind of when I heard about the, the GA deal, kind of something I wanted to do. And then um, I knew I wasn't going to get it. I wasn't going to get offered it. And then the start of my sophomore year, my sophomore season, that's when kind of I think uh, I talked to my coach about it a lot. Uh, and we wanted to really push for the GA deal. So I think Carlos, he, uh, he definitely helped out with that. And then uh, I think like halfway or like towards the end of our season, my sophomore year, that's when Aleko uh, kind of gave me a call and then he, he told me, you know, you know, we're going to, we're going to offer you a, a GA deal. And then that's when the negotiation started, but obviously it was a very happy moment for me and my family. Cause it's something I've been wanting to do for a very long time. And of course it was, it was very difficult to leave. I mean, North Carolina, uh, the, the full ride, the, the experience of everything with college, the team to leave it, it was tough, but you know, in the end I, I told Carlos, that's, that's what I wanted to do since I was a little kid. So. It, it, it was my shot at it. So obviously I took it. That was going to be my question was how receptive were your college coaches to that? Cause you know, if they, if they maybe had thought you would be there for four years and all of a sudden now they're scrambling to replace you or whatever, were that were they helpful in that process? Carlos and the coaches were very helpful. Um, they were, they were honest with me. You know, they, they even said, um, you know, some GAs, they, they leave very early freshman or sophomore year of their college career and they take the deal and they don't turn out. So he, he kind of showed me the numbers and, um, but he even said, you know, I think you've been ready. You've been, you've been ready for the professional level, level before college. So he was honest with me, but he, he helped me a lot through the whole process. And we're obviously we, we still keep in touch, but no, he, he helped me a lot. So your college season, season ended in November and the MLS draft is not till mid January. Yep. Is it, is it tough in that gap to keep your mind on, on school or whatever else you need to be doing in that time? It was, it, honestly, it, it was tough. Um, Cause obviously that's, that's all you could think about was, you know, you're, you're getting ready for pro, but obviously you had to finish out the semester with your team. Um, and then obviously with school, you had to finish out the exams hard, uh, very good. And then, I mean, after that, it was just training a bunch over my Christmas break. And then obviously the first few days of January, I believe it was down to Orlando for the, the uh, combine and then straight up to Chicago for the, the draft. Have you finished your education, by the way, since you left school early? I have not, but um, I have a, a good deal with with UNC where I can keep taking my online classes for free whenever I want. So obviously I'm just chipping away at those. Nice, nice. Now you mentioned the combine. I did look uh, for, for the list of names and your name wasn't on the first look list I saw, but obviously you just said you went down there. What, what was that combine experience like? It, it was different. Um, it, it wasn't so much a soccer looking back at it. It was really a chance for the coaches to meet you. You know, I, I think I, me and a lot of other players, we met with the coaches, the, you know, um, some of the owners and just kind of the whole coaching staff. And they just kind of got a feel for you. And looking back at it, I think that's the most important part. Yeah, you want to do well in the combine, the training, but we didn't really train that much. I think we had like one or two trainings as a team then played like twice. And you didn't get a lot of minutes, which was kind of weird in my opinion, the whole setup. But it was really for the coaches um, to see you. Well, you might have been in the last one that ever happened because they obviously didn't right. do one in 2020. And they may not do them going forward. Having been to about six or seven of them, I can tell you that the hotel lobby is a feeding, feeding frenzy of agents and coaches and players. Yeah. So, you know, the mingling is always something to see. Yeah, it was a crazy experience to see, but uh, very fun. So speaking of agents, uh, talk to me about that process. When do did you sort of become involved with agents, get contacted by agents, and then officially sign with an agent? Um, I would say a lot of players on my uh, national team, the U17 team, that cycle, like 
we were like pretty young, like 15, 16 years old. I know agents would just, you know, come to Bradenton. They would talk to our coaches. They would talk to our family. I think I've met with like around 10 to 15, like during residency. Um, but obviously I didn't sign anything. I know, I know a lot of players, um, they signed and I don't know if it was the best decision. And then some players at that time signed pro very young and they signed with agents, but me and my family, um, we, we didn't sign a, a paper, which was the smartest thing that we did. And then obviously once, once college came around, um, that's when I, I met mine. And then we did all the, the, the legal, um, precautions with it, like through UNC, which helped a lot. What was the definitive sort of uh, choices for you? What led you to pick the agent that you picked? Um, just being most comfortable with them, someone I can trust, and obviously looking at his other players. And personally, I didn't want a huge um, um, agency that other players have. You know, it's people's opinions and, and what they want, but I wanted an agent that would that really would um, look out for me. You know, like I'm the top priority, which I like. Something more personable then. Yeah. 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 Now, I know for sure you were at the draft because I've seen the pictures. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as you were approaching the draft, what was your sort of thought process? Did you look at the teams that were maybe picking in certain areas and look at like where you might be ranked to sort of guess where you might go? Or were you trying to keep it open mind about it? There was a lot of, you know, the mock drafts. I mean, you know, some had me going the top three, some had me going top 15. Um, but honestly, I didn't really read into a lot of that. Um, you know, I just kind of wanted to focus on the combine. And then I think after the meetings with some teams, you know, I had a feeling um, I would go to FC Dallas because my meeting with Dallas went really well. And I was um, I was still available at the 10th pick. And then honestly, when FC Dallas came around for the 10th pick, I had a feeling I was going to get my my name called. So. Yeah. So that was actually one of the things I was going to ask you was how surprised were you? But obviously if you'd met with them, you felt really confident. Then right. did you, did you even see that 10 pick in advance as like, that might be where I could go or were you just, just had a good feeling in general? Just had a good feeling in general. And it was funny because when I think Dallas called Callum, at, I think four, three or four, four. Yeah. I those. And um, you know, they say from the university of North Carolina, cause obviously he's a Charlotte boy. <laughs> right and I, I almost stood up which was kind of funny <laughs> that would have so been I, funny like, sat back down real quick I'm like, oh god um, no it was it was def it's definitely a nerve-wracking moment obviously for for you and um your family member because i was sitting by my family at the time and you know the you know the clock's ticking and they take their time and you're just you're just nerve you're just very nervous but no i had a feeling um just one of those weird feelings that i would go to dallas Let's talk about that whole sort of, uh, let's call it a week. Like how far in advance of draft day do you arrive? At, did you arrive at the uh, event? Yeah. So I want to say we went to um, Orlando for the combine. I want to say like January 3rd or 4th. And then January 10th, when the combine was done, we went, we flew straight in the G, uh, other GA picks. They flew us straight up to Chicago. It was like a group of us. And then we got there, I think like the 10th. So the night before, I think it was on the 11th, I believe one of those days. But we were only the night before in Chicago, and the next morning, that's when the, the draft day was. So we were only there for a night. But I got to spend that night with my, um, my family, and a few of my buddies came up, which was really cool. And then the next day, that was, that was the draft day. I imagine that day would be a surreal – that night would be a surreal night in the moment of yeah. your entire future is – sort of not up in the air in terms of like, I know I'm going to get drafted or I assume I'm going to get drafted, but like up in the air of like, where am I going? What am I doing? And like right. the whole thing in limbo out there in front of you. Right. No. Yeah. Um, it was, it was, it was that night before it was, it was pretty nerve wracking. Um, I was practicing, practicing my speech. Um, <laughs> they even said, you know, you can practice your speech all you want, but once you get up there, you're like a deer in the headlights and they were right. <laughs> yeah. They were right. Yeah. But no, that the, the day I think once I got drafted, um, after I said my speech, I felt confident with it, and then just kind of meeting Lucci and, and Dan and them, I think it just felt right. And it was looking back at it, it was definitely one of the coolest days of my life. So, how early on the day of do you go to the uh, actual event or like the room where that's all going to happen? Yeah, the actual event. I would say we got there a good like hour and a half, two hours before. And then kind of we got in our seats and then just kind of waited for everyone to fill. And you're just sitting there waiting and waiting. <laughs> yeah, wind it up. So no green room to hang out in and have a little uh, 
you know, a little coffee or something to get ready. They had like a little, um, I'd say a sectioned off like area for the players, which was nice. Just kind of take your mind off of it. So you, you said you had your family with you, which must've been nice. That probably helped ease the tension a little bit. I imagine there were some guys that didn't have people with them and could only be stewing. Uh, I mean, I've been at drafts where somebody there has, is not getting picked, which has to be painful. So as you're wait, as the picks start coming in and you're waiting, you know, as you're, I'm not going to say dropping down because you were picked 10th, but Mm -hmm. you know, as the picks are coming off, does it start to ratchet up a little bit? Yeah, a little, you know, you start to, you start to get nervous a little, but honestly, I, I I don't think I was really thinking that in the moment. Um, I just was kind of open to anything, you know, I mean, if, if I fell to, to 20, which it works out for a lot of players and then, you know, some players that go, you know, that like go one, it doesn't really work out for them either. So no, I was just kind of open to anything. Yeah. Ryan was taken in the second round. Of course he had a little bit of extenuating circumstances with right. his mission trip, but um, right. certainly players have succeeded that have been drafted later than that. Um, right. Looking back on it now, do you, do you find that draft experience to have been enjoyable? Is it a positive experience for you? Not just draft day, but the whole process. Was it a, an enjoyable process? I'd say overall it was enjoyable. Definitely the stressful, um, nerve-wracking part to it. But overall, definitely a positive and something I'm, I'm glad, you know, I took part in the combine and, and all that. So how long after you get picked do you show up in Frisco, even just like to move there or and then report to FC Dallas? How does that how fast does that happen? Uh, very fast. Um, after the draft, I flew home with my family and friends that night and then I had to get my things ready because uh, obviously you didn't know where you were going to go. So right, we, had right. to, we, had, we had to get our things ready. And then I was I was in Frisco, I want to say like uh say like less than 10 days about a week to 10 days i was in frisco then they put us in the hotel and then preseason started that was it now you seem from my contact to be very friendly with callum montgomery uh you know Mm -hmm. from your draft experience over the last two years i Mm -hmm. i thought uh it was time for callum to be starter i think that he's ready to start an mls so i was a little bit bummed that fc dallas moved on from him but i do think that minnesota is a good place for him to have gone. Do you have any thoughts about Callum's move? You know, obviously, obviously um, we were uh, really good friends. We were roommates actually. Um, so, you know, we're going to stay in touch, but you know, I just, I hope for the best for him. I know he, he's good enough to play in this league. He's good enough to be a starter. So honestly, I hope he kills it in Minnesota. <laughs> when uh, you say you were roommates, did you guys live in one of the FC Dallas apartments or did you guys do something on your own? Something on our own. Yeah. So let's talk about right now. Uh, I'm curious with this sort of season, the season's not in limbo, but the start of the season is in limbo. I mean, nobody knows when we're starting. Right. How's the, how's that sort of for you guys? I mean, you don't speak for the whole team, obviously, but you're certainly a member of the team. So how, how does it sort of dealing with that right now for you guys with this whole season, sort of like ambiguously out there somewhere? It's, it's interesting. Um, you know, this past season was was strange, um, you know, and so many people had to adapt either be open to so many things. And I think, honestly, um, me and our team and players around the league now are just open, are just ready to change. You know, they could call us preseason could start in the next few weeks or it could start in, in March, which is just crazy. Um, you know, I think right now, me personally, I'm starting to get my head right starting to get back in shape. Obviously I took some time off with my family and friends, but now I'm back into it training. So now I'm ready. So how, how long did you take off and, and what kind of program or regimen are you doing? Uh, I, I think once, once the, the Seattle game ended, I want to say like two weeks, I didn't really do anything. And then right after that, I just kind of started running again. And then uh, Vander, our, uh, our, our fitness dude, he, he's been very good. He's been emailing us, helping us sending out just like a bunch of like, kind of little programs, you know, to obviously keep stretching and all that, stay loose, and then some good fitness programs he's been sending us. So that's kind of what I've been following. That's something I've talked to Matt Hedges about, you know, Mm -hmm. about there's a, there's about a week or two sort of refresh your brain when the season ends, but then you immediately have to get back at it because you, these days, he said, you need to come into camp fit and ready because it's like, they don't do two weeks of fitness anymore. It's like you walk in, they expect you to be fit. And now we're going to get right into it tactics on what we're doing right i i, I kind of like it to be honest because you know i think 
at, at a pro level, you're kind of expected to, to come in the preseason somewhat fit. Um, some guys more than, um, more than others, but I mean, I, no, I, I like it. Um, obviously we don't go full go the first few days, but you know, after a week we're, we're really, we're really getting into it. So no, I think that's the right mindset to have. I think he's exactly right. You got to come in the preseason, especially me fighting for a spot always. So you got to come in fit, ready to go. You want to out somebody who showed up fat last year? Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's, just, it's just funny hearing stories from like other players around the league how out of shape they they come in yeah uh, which is I, crazy. Ima- I imagine there are people that feel really comfortable that just not through intent necessarily maybe but just sort of like ah, i've got it made and then they show up and they're like oh my gosh i'm in trouble because oh, i right. remember for example johnny yeah. that when dax mccarty was a rookie i know you probably know dax at least from playing in the league right that he yeah. came in and like within a week he won the beep test which is obviously one of the hardest things that they do in sort of spring training and yeah sometimes yeah. these new guys are coming in and they're killing it right out of the bat so you got to be ready no matter who you are right, As right. A pro, that's, you usually, be ready. that's usually what happens honestly because you know these draft guys they want to come in and that's that's what i did and you're you're fighting for if you're signed or not ga or not you're 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 fighting for a contract you're fighting for a spot so that's usually what happens the younger guys or the the guys out of college they have to come in ready to go and they have to they have to prove themselves within the first month it's tough but that's it that's that's the reality of it now from my experience of watching this team for a long time i've always felt like uh rookies halfway through the season usually about six months hit a wall and that's usually because that's about how long the college season was. Did you find that to be true in your case? Did you feel like you hit a wall part through this, your rookie season? Um, I'd say a bit. I think obviously I got a bit unlucky with the the injury I picked up because um, at that point, I, you know, I started to play, started to prove myself with the team and really be with them. And obviously I got um, injured, which, which definitely hurt. Um, but no, I, I think there was a bit of a wall, honestly, because I mean, college, you, you, I don't know, you played what three or four months in the season yeah and this this season especially with dallas you're playing through unreal heat that i, I don't love which is it's kind of <laughs> yeah um, but no it, it's definitely it's definitely tough um i'd say after my rookie year i'd definitely say you know that was you know one of the hardest things i've kind of went through i mean i did well but the injury obviously didn't help and just i don't know the season's what uh, eight nine months yeah um, which is which which is crazy. Um, no, it was definitely something to adapt to. But, you know, I think I'm I think I'm ready, though. One of the things we often talk about as part of this process for young players is uh, what we what I would call learning to be a pro, learning to take care of your body, learning to show up and work every day. Is that yeah. something that you picked up on? Was there anyone in particular that helped you figure that process out? Uh, I would definitely say other players as well when I got there. Um, and obviously, you know, our fitness guy and, uh, Vander and, and all them, but no, honestly, other players, like, uh, I would talk to Jimmy Maurer, Kyle Zobeck, uh, Ryan or, or Matt, uh, just kind of those veterans or leaders and just kind of picking their brain right when I got there. Um, and just kind of, uh, learning from them. They've been, you know, telling me about how long the season is, what you need to do for your body. And that's, that's kind of where I picked it up. And then th- I think definitely last year, um, it, it helped a lot. Now, as part of the process for FC Dallas these days, there's North Texas Soccer Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you had a seven-game run with them in your rookie year. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's be honest, anybody getting picked past the first round probably these days is more likely going to play more there than they are with FC Dallas. So what, yeah. are, what are your thoughts about that relationship? Did, did it benefit you to go down there for a stretch of games like that? I think it's I think it's huge for Dallas and, and for players through Academy coming up for North, North Texas. And obviously I got very lucky because I think that was their first year they did it, North Texas, when I got there. So, um, you know, it helped a lot. Obviously, I needed to get games there sometimes to keep my fitness up and at a, a decent level for young players coming up. And there's a lot of good players in that league. They'll, they'll hopefully be joining the MLS soon. But no, it was definitely beneficial to me. Obviously, uh, when I got injured, I got to play there for a few games, get my fitness back. But no, definitely, definitely uh, beneficial. So looking back at last year, which I'm sure is not – easy for any of us last year. Um, I'd like to talk to you just a minute about Orlando. Uh, mm-hmm. For you personally, you know, difficult situation for literally the entire team. Not an easy situation. We all know that. Right. Uh, how did you mentally get through it? What did you do to occupy yourself? How did you work through those? What is clearly a difficult burden because everyone's been talking about it for your team. It was very tough. Um, obviously some guys do better with it than others. 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that's more on the quiet side, kind of stick to myself in some situations. So, you know, it, it wasn't kind of the worst thing for me. It was definitely probably the, you know, the hardest experience I've ever went through, especially I would say every, every guy there, um, on my team. Um, but I kind of just kind of took the positive out, uh, positive out of it. Um, I, I caught up with people that I haven't, you know, talked to in a while. Um, especially like my grandparents, you know, obviously they are in quarantine. I was in quarantine. So I just talked to them for hours a day and then friends I haven't talked to and just, um, so I try to make the pot uh, the most out of it, you know, take the positives out of it. But overall it, it was, it was very tough mentally. So what do you do in your spare time? Do you, are you a reader? Are you a gamer? Is it movies? What is it for you that gets you through? Yeah. Um, I would, I would say a mix of, mix of that. Um, I do like my gaming. I think any other kid at my age loves his, uh, loves his gaming. And then I am a big movie guy. I do like uh, the Netflix, the Hulu, and, um, obviously my, my classes, my online classes. Um, so yeah. Let's, let's, let's date you here. What's your favorite movie all time? <sighs> favorite movie of all time. That is a very good question. I would say it's between <laughs> bench warmers, uh, Kicking and screaming, or uh, or super bad. <laughs> wow, you are a young yeah. man. I'm gonna have to look up benchwarmers. To be honest, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it it came old. out when I was decently young, but it's, <laughs> it's just a classic between me and my friends. <laughs> oh, that I can understand. I feel that way about Animal House. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's how old I am. All right, looking forward to 2021. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, I joked earlier that you're a better defender than Ryan Hong said, and I think that's true. Um, but you've also made uh, Johnny, and credit to you, you made a lot of progress on the attacking phase this last mm -hmm. year, I think. How do you think your progression's going in that regard? Because let's be honest, right? One of the things that's going to make or break you in terms of getting a full-time job is going to be that progression. So where do you think you are in that progression? I think the prog progression's going uh, good. I think it's going very good. Um, I think last year I took the right strides and I did a lot more one-on-one -on -one video with uh, the assistant coaches like Mikey or Peter and a lot of feedback from from Lucci and the coaches what I needed to do. So I would say definitely the, the right strides. And it's going into this preseason and season, something I, I really want to want to be good at. You know, if I can if I can do that, then I'm obviously a good one v one defender. And I think I'm getting closer to that complete outside back that um, that the coaches want me to be. Then obviously that just raises my stock and, and then everything goes up. But no, I, I think it's been been very good strides. Yeah, there were definitely some games last year where you one-on-one -on -one shut down some pretty good attackers. Notably, the Houston game I thought was particularly strong. Um, and I love hearing, by the way, your, the idea that you're doing some one-on-one -on -one kind of stuff because I, I really think most young players will make a progression leap when they sort of take responsibility themselves and seek individual work, whether it be an outside trainer or some extra coaching with certain coaches. It's like that. When did that sort of click for you? Was it just something that happened naturally? Or did somebody suggest to you to take some sort of individual responsibility there? It was both definitely in the start of last season. Um, uh, the uh, assistant coaches, Peter, Mikey, you know, they, they told me this, that, this, that, and then they kind of just started showing me video. Then I just started asking a bunch of questions and then asking for this video. Then it just kind of clicked with, with all of us, which was very helpful. One thing uh, I like to talk about, or not like to talk about, that I do talk about in terms of progression of young players is this idea that for most of their life, they're one of the best players in every team they've been involved with. And I'm not going to say soccer is easy, but a lot of times the talent gets you to the MLS level. Coach Colin Clark used to say, everyone that gets here can play. The difference between the guys that make it and don't is sometimes something different. So did you, do you find that, that that's, that's true that you've now that you've gotten to the MLS level for two seasons, that there is sort of this wall that you now have to punch through and break through to become a full-time uh, playing professional? Yeah, I, I'd say for sure. Um, I think every player that gets here, uh, I don't, I don't know, honestly, if, if they're good enough to play or even good enough to make it. Um, you know, some players could, could play a few years, but honestly, I don't know if it's good enough to be their full-time job. Um, and I think the MLS is, is getting a lot better. You know, we're starting to get players from uh, South America, Europe that are still somewhat in their prime or very good players. So I just think the league is it's getting a lot better. And I'm excited to be part, a part of it. I, have you, I was going to ask if you'd noticed that trend with FC Dallas, that they've all of a sudden are bringing in free agents that are more prime 25 to 28 years old. That's that's a little bit of a change. 
Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, I followed Dallas a bit in the past, and and just hearing stories, um, kind of some funny stories about how it's just kind of changing. With no, it's good. It, it's very good. Are you a goal setter? Do you set personal goals for seasons? And if you are, do you have some for twenty twenty one? Uh, yes. Uh, and I would say I would just give you a few of my goals, and I think we touched on it. Uh, soccer, personally, the the attacking phase. Yeah. Um, obviously I want, um, I said, I kind of set a goal for myself before a training or game and something I really want to do in this upcoming season. It's, uh, something around along the lines of get three crosses each half. Um, that's help your team, in the, the attacking third, um, if it's just being higher up there or, or just being available for them. Um, and obviously I just want to keep doing my thing as a defender, one V one lockdown, um, clean sheet. So kind of keep doing that. But honestly, it's like we touched on. It's the attacking phase. It's interesting to hear you say that even individual games or training sessions, you set goals. I don't. I hadn't thought of it as that level of, of uh, day-to-day sort of goal setting. That's an interesting take. And that's something I definitely learned from uh, Peter uh, Lucen, obviously the, the assistant coach uh, for us in training. Um, work on something that, that you want to work on. You know, you mess up. And it's not the end of the world. That's what he who would tell me and Calum and obviously the other young players. Keep working on what you want to work on. After training, hit some more crosses. That's that's something what Mikey and Peter really pushed on me, and it's definitely helped me. Yeah, Peter must be a real resource. Having he he's played literally at the highest levels possible. You know, yeah. I, I he imagine the things that he stories he could tell you and the examples he could give you are can be both inspiring but also like challenging in a way. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, obviously, like you said, he he's played with the, the best of the best. So just the stories he has um, are amazing. And just on the field, even watching him when he when he comes in the training, sometimes it's you can still tell. I mean, honestly, he yeah. has the best touch. He, he he's still there. It's <laughs> yeah. funny. Well, the, the funny story we tell about Peter Lucine is that uh, over his last couple of years playing you know, we, we would have said that he was one of the slowest players in the team. And then yeah. he got into the media game with us and he ran away <laughs> from everybody. Like he was a deer and we were all stuck in cement. That just underscores is. the level that you guys are playing at the kind of range and mobility that's needed that, but you know, mm-hmm. when you see a Peter play appear a player like Peter, and this is probably true of Oscar too, when he mm-hmm. was coaching, you know, when they would step into training, you can still see the quality of, of the, of the ta- of the talent. And speaking of which, does Lucci ever remind you that he won the Herman trophy? Does that come up very often? <laughs> very little. Lucci's a very humble guy, but people, people will say that, you know, he, he, he was a stud obviously back in his day, but no, he's a very humble guy. All right. The, the world's kind of divided into two people here, Johnny, people that believe Jersey numbers are important and matter and people that don't, where do you fall into the spectrum of Jersey numbers? Jersey numbers. Oh God. Um, let's see. I don't think it's as important. Not um, so important. Not so important. I, well, I, you, I don't know. I, I don't think it is. Do you like your 26? Are you interested in keeping that? Or you think yeah. you might want to go somewhere else? I mean, uh, we'll be honest. 26, not the, like the 10 or, or something like that. <laughs> not but the best, no. I, I think it's cool. You know, I can, I can make something out of a 26 here at Dallas, you know, which that I kind of, kind of look at that. I, I think it'd be cool to be, one of the best players that wore 26 for Dallas. It's funny you say that we've been doing rankings by numbers. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm up to 25. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's funny. So, so no interest for like in the short term, but maybe changing down to your college five or, you know, some number like that. I mean, five's I taken, the, but <laughs> the opportunity present itself possibly, but I, I think it'd be cool to stick with 26. All right. 26 it is. So yeah. that's your new favorite. I'm going to say then. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I'll, stick, I'll stick with 26. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a perfect number for the 26th season of Major League Soccer, right? I don't know if that popped into your head. Oh, yeah. Wow, I didn't even think about that. That's yeah. funny. Good oh, timing. There you go. All right, Johnny, thank you for coming on and talking draft process for me. I, for us. I do have one final question for you. On the UNC website and the MLS website, you're listed as John, but both your Instagram and your and your Twitter say Johnny, and we always call you Johnny. Do you have a preference for which one it is? I always get this question. It's funny. I don't have a preference. I don't mind either John or Johnny. I think John is more the serious route. Yeah. Um, so on Instagram or Twitter or something, I like to keep it more, you know, more casual and just kind of more fun. So Johnny. Sure. But no, no preference. Whatever. Well, that's why we can call you Johnny Football. You can do the little money uh, celebration. I, ha- I have people, score. 
people <laughs> in Medina, my hometown, have called me that. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. All right. Once again, thanks, Johnny. We really appreciate you coming on and, and helping us through the draft process. And, and good luck in the season and spring training, which will hopefully start soon. Yeah, hopefully. We haven't heard anything yet, but hopefully they tell us soon. Beautiful. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. See you guys. All right. Thanks again to Johnny Nelson for joining us. That was terrific. I, I really enjoyed Dan hearing his insight on the draft process and, and, and how he got involved with Generation Adidas and, and the whole thing top to bottom. I, I love getting insight from players like that about what they went through. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's only so much you can watch on a broadcast or from a media area to uh, – you know, it's, it's unfortunate with uh, everything being remote this year that we're watching the drafts and it's people at home grabbing from a big pile of hats, uh, not not the uh, the full draft experience that we got to see with Johnny and, and so many other players. One of the things that I thought was particularly interesting, Dan, towards the back end of that interview was his uh, discussion of his progression in the offensive end and how he knows as much as anybody how important that is and that he's working with it with coaches and his specifically working with Peter Lucene on it and trying to develop that aspect of his game. So um, I love seeing a player acknowledge the parts that they're working on. I think sometimes, and we've seen this with Thomas Roberts this summer when he started working with somebody on the outside, players taking responsibility for their own development, acknowledging where their weakness is and seeking out extra help from somebody to try and make that better. Oh, it's fantastic. And, you know, I mean, it's always, uh, it's always good to, to see a player kind of embrace the, any need for change because, you know, everyone has to always strive to improve. If you stay still, you, you fall behind. Uh, it's, it's good to see him kind of acknowledging and visibly working on the attacking side of things. Uh, you know, when we, when we bring up the attacking side of the game, it's not to to put Johnny down at all. It's just kind of the that's what's that's that's the the part of the game that Lucci is looking for in his fullbacks. Um, and you know what I really hope Johnny takes into this season is MLS's weird insistence that FC Dallas needed a left footed left back because they already have <laughs> one. Yeah, I, I wondered if they read my stuff. Uh, because I did say that they needed a left back. <laughs> I mean, FC Dallas need one for depth. Uh, yeah. But yeah, to say that FC Dallas, and uh, I don't know if this was a weeby thing that just caught on, but there was a constant insistence that FC Dallas doesn't have a single player, a single left-footed left back on the roster when Johnny Nelson's sitting right there. <laughs> well, the reason we've talked about a left back is actually partially because of Johnny's quality. Now, he is only 22. He'll be 23 in July, which actually makes him younger than some people that are being drafted even now. And Ryan Hollingshead is going to be 30 early next season. You know, now, Ryan is a great leader on this team. He'll be able to play past 30, no question. But Johnny Nelson also has tremendous value and is starter capable. So who knows if Johnny Nelson, over the next two years, two years from now, will still be here, right? Number one. Number two, if Johnny Nelson's going to pass Ryan Hollingshead and get that starting job, he needs to get better on the offensive end. That's what that acknowledgement is about. He knows it. We know it. If he does pass up Ryan Hollingshead, then Ryan Hollingshead will be surplus. If either one of those two things happen two years from now, you'll need another left back. And Jonathan Gomez, who was the heir apparent left homegrown back, he's gone. He bolted out of the academy and went to Lou City. He's not coming back. You know, if the next guys in the academy that look good – are down at the U15, you know, 2005s and 2006s kind of level, early two U17s. There is a guy, Cesar um, Ilazde, who's with the 19s, who's converting to left back. I like that idea. But none of those guys solve a left back problem. Like if you look at Derek Waldeck, who in North Texas, who we like as a player at that level, but we don't think projects to Major League Soccer. So again, there's a gap there in the FC Dallas progression past the first two guys on the first team. So if you're drafting in the mid to late rounds of the MLS Super Draft, maybe a left back fits. So for me, that's why I said you look at left back when you're drafting. I think they're crazy if they thought first round pick was going to be a left back. Unless it, you know, the, the one guy was the kid from Grand Canyon in Denver, Drask, I thought was a legitimate shot at a left back there. But you would have had to have passed Dickie Hernandez to get it, get him. So um, when we say there's a quote unquote, when we say, you and I say, there's a quote unquote need at left back, we don't mean that there's no Hollingshead backup and pure left back because Johnny is for sure an MLS starting caliber pure left back. Yeah, it's just, it's just kind of funny to see the uh, the, the insinuation of it. Uh, you know, and you, and you talk about uh, Waldeck, uh, you know, Drax, similar, uh, a forward who is kind of a, a 
kind of converted in that way. You know, when we talk about the conversions, the conversions, they're not just, uh, okay, now you're a left back. Play as if you've played there all your life. Um, you know, not everyone can be uh, Brian Reynolds at right back. Uh, we're seeing it with uh, even with, with Wardak. Wardak is an incredibly intelligent player, fantastic, uh, you know, a fantastic eye for the ball. Um, not the most physically gifted, not the quickest player, which doesn't necessarily, you know, which is kind of struggling to translate to left back in places. We've seen him get a bit bullied, uh, you know, in practice before. We've seen it happen even in North Tech, at, you know, at the North Texas level. So, uh, you know, it's it's not like the uh, it's not like the academy coaches can just say, "You there, boy, you're a left back now." Yeah, and then suddenly there's your next homegrown. No, it doesn't quite work that way. Uh, you know, and I agree with you. The athleticism is what will keep Baldeck from making it to the MLS level, and that's why we think that you know, in the gap there, there's there's a potential left back need between who's currently a U17 and who's going to be after Johnny Nelson. That's where the need is. That's where the hole is. So. Absolutely, and it's you like know, the goalkeepers. You yeah, know, there, there is exactly. a hole. There's an opportunity with that hole. All right. So again, th- super awesome for Johnny Nelson to come on. I really appreciate him talking through his process with us. Uh, I had forgotten he was on the World Cup team, and and I think it was 2017 I, until I looked it up, looked him up the other day. So uh, tremendous to hear from him, and I, I super enjoyed that conversation. And I was really glad to see him be so open and honest with us about both his process and himself. Uh, I love talking to that kid. He's got a good head on his shoulders. Uh, Plus, the he's the reason that Christian Pulisic owns an FC Dallas jersey. Right on. He did say that they're still close. Yeah. Pulisic, big fan. Big big FC Dallas fan. All right, Dan, thanks again for you to come on. I really appreciate you uh, being here and to chat FC Dallas with me. Yeah, always a pleasure, never a chore. And, uh, you know, it was a... Definitely a, a great uh, little chat there with, with Johnny. It was good to hear what you got out of him from that. All right, once again, let me remind you the Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, 25% off site wide for all Third Degree Podcast listeners with the promo code Third Degree on soccer90.com. That's 3RD, D E G R E E, just exactly like the name of our website. Uh, go there, get yourself some swag, get yourself a discount, tell them we sent you. Dan, again, thank you, my friend. Thank you. Johnny Nelson, thank you, sir, for coming on and chatting with us. Thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed episode 95. We will talk to you again next week on Third Degree, the podcast. Draft day, baby. Third Degree, the Third Degree Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Podcast.